Good morning, everybody. How are you? Everybody good? Y'all staying warm? You, th you thinking warm thoughts? Counting down the days to spring? Uh, I know I am. I don't need to tell. I, I try to be positive, but y'all know I hate winter so bad. Y'all know that about me. I, I really, I hate it. I, I hate to be cold. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm preaching with just a shirt and a vest on. To church, I wore a shirt, a vest, a jacket, and a coat. Uh, and, uh, and wanted to preach in all of them. I mean, once I put a layer on, it doesn't want to come off. Uh, I, I just hate to be cold. However, I'm a runner. A lot of you know that. I've, uh, gosh, I've got one more day of the month. I'll do a long run tomorrow. I've already run over 100 miles since January 1st. Um, so there's that. Uh, I'll, I'll still get out there. Uh, I've, I've run miles at, you know, single digits, 11 degrees. Uh, gosh, there's been some cold mornings. Uh, but still, you know, even though life is hard sometimes and... There's pain and there's discomfort. Uh, you get to decide how much of your life you give up to that. You know, you get to decide, you know, how, how, how sorry to feel of yourself and how, uh, you know, this morning I was thinking, you know, man, I just wish winter was over. And I think, man, these are days of my life, you know. You don't wish days of your life away. Uh, and so a spring will come soon enough. In the meantime, y'all, I'm just going to eat a whole lot of soup and a uh, and keep on adding layers and, uh, and, and pray for spring. Second Peter chapter 3. This is the final sermon in the series entitled Lost. We've been talking about what it means, what it is to live apart from Jesus. Last week, I, I loved preaching last week. Um, we sang part of Amazing Grace uh, and we uh, celebrated those words, I once was lost but now I'm found. Just the amazing power of those words. I once was lost. Now, I was lost, but I'm not lost anymore. That, that's amazing. Um, but, but today I just want us to wrap up and talk about what it means that so many people still choose to be lost. They choose to remain lost. I was, uh, I, I never really moved anywhere, so I've, I'm, I'm here. I, I grew up here. I went to elementary school and high school with, with a lot of the same kids, and so I had friends for life, and they're still my friends. It's great. Um, one girl in particular, I went all the way through school with her, uh, all the way from, I mean, she was my friend from elementary school to high school and beyond. She's still my friend. Uh, I spent a lot of time at their house. Um, I spent as much time at their house with her mama as I did in my house with my mama, and I got really close to her mother. Her mother was a real encouragement to me. She encouraged me in anything that I would do, and I did a lot of stuff in high school. Uh, I was always an artist, and this woman would buy my art when my art was junk, you know, she would just buy it to encourage me. So this is a woman who had always been incredible as a source of encouragement to me. So one time after high school, just after high school, I was with my friend, and we went end up back at her house, and I saw her mom, and it was great to see her. And she asked me, well, you know, what are you doing now? What are you going to do after high school? And uh, at that point, I hadn't really made steps toward, you know, becoming a pastor. But at the same time, I was leaning toward that. And I just said to her, uh, I said, I'm, I'm leaning toward ministry. I'm thinking about becoming a minister. And this woman looked me right in the face and said, uh, good Lord, Tim, don't you know the whole world don't want to be saved? That's what she said. She had never said anything at all discouraging to me until that moment in my whole life. But she just said, good Lord, don't you know the whole world don't want to be saved? I knew it then, uh, but, you know, Lord, I know it now. I, I really do. The, the whole world doesn't want to be saved. Uh, it is 
in many, many ways, the reason why I have felt called into ministry was the reason then, and, and it continues to be the reason now. This, this is why we do everything that we do. It is so people will be saved. But not everybody wants to be saved. Um, the, the bottom line is, if you live lost and die lost, one day you'll be lost forever. I don't think people really understand this. I don't think they believe it, or if they believe it, they forget it. You will be lost forever. You may say, well, Pastor Tim, I, I, don't, I don't know that I believe in hell. One day you will. Or, or you say, Pastor Tim, uh, I just want to live my life. Maybe one day when I'm as old as you, or old as you, know, you and your wife, you know, probably then I, you know, you know, I, I expect to get serious then. But you know, for now, I just kind of want to just you know, live my life. Um, this is what I'm telling you. Time runs out. The time runs out, and there is such a time as too late. And that brings us to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, where, where we'll read today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. We're still talking about lostness, but we're specifically talking about how time runs out and how there's such a time as too late. I'll be honest with you, in what I'm about to read, there are parts of this passage that are just so beautiful, it makes me want to live a very different kind of life. And there are parts of this passage that are just so terrible, it makes me want to live a, a very different kind of life. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, read with me. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They're going to say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think of slowness. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, he's promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in this sight. And remember our Lord's patience. Gives people time to be saved. 
Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. My sister and I were in high school, I guess. We decided to drive one day to spend the day with our cousins, uh, favorite cousins. I love my cousins. They, they were a riot. They still are. So much fun. Uh, so we got to the house, and we looked in the door, knocked on the door, and I could see my cousin Ted through the glass, and he was on the phone. Now, let me stop a minute for all you kids out there. Uh, back in the day, every kid, every phone in the world was tied to a wall. Like it was literally connected to the wall. So Ted's on the phone. He sees me. And so I can see him just say, you know, hold on just a minute. He puts the phone on the kitchen counter and then walks over and lets us in. So we come in and, uh, you know, we all doing, hey, just came to hang out. So we just start hanging out. Uh, we, went, we rode motorcycles that day. Ted always had motorcycles and like ramps in his backyard. And we would jump and, and be crazy. It was so much fun riding motorcycles. I also know that day. If I recall, we had like a million baby burgers at the Frosty Freeze. I know about the Frosty Freeze. In Franklin, we ate a million baby burgers and then drove around, came back to the house, and we listened to music. My cousins had like this old vinyl collection with Beatles and all the best music ever. So we listened to Beatles and just listened to music through the afternoon. Like it was like a whole day. And somewhere at the end of that long afternoon, my cousin Ted walked back through the kitchen and he saw the phone. Like, on the ki- like, it's been all day. He saw the phone, and I think for a moment he'd forgotten why the phone was off the hook. So he just picked it up and said, hello? And his friend said, man, where you been? <laughs> that dummy sat there all day. I mean, that dummy sat there all day long waiting for Ted to come back. I mean, it's like, what? I mean, he sat there all, yeah, we rode motorcycles Drove around, so we had a million baby burgers. We listened to whole albums, you know, and that dummy sat there the whole time, like afraid to go to the bathroom, you know, because he was going to miss. Just the funniest thing. I mean, I love all y'all, but I, I wouldn't wait 30 seconds. I mean, if I'm on the phone with you and you say, hold on, and then you disappear, like, I got a life to live. I ain't waiting for you. You call me back. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, who does that? Who waits all day? Y'all remember in college when the professor's late, and then you start having the debate, like, how long do we have to wait before we get to just up and walk out? And some people say, if it's a PhD, you got to give her 15 minutes. Like, 15 minutes of my life? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, how long do you wait? How long are you supposed to wait before you just give up and say, she ain't coming? He ain't coming? You, you know? And this is where Peter begins here in chapter 3, verse 3. This whole idea that Christians have been saying for a long time that Jesus is coming back. Now, Peter is implying that in his day, it seemed like a long time. I mean, Jesus, you know, can come back whenever he wants. And people have been saying it for a while in Peter's day. And people are already starting to say, why are we still waiting for him? He ain't coming back. I mean, it's been years He's obviously not coming back, you know, and, and if, if Peter thought it had been a long time in his day, it's been a long time now. Christians have been saying for 2,000 years, 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back, and can we just all agree, 2,000 years is a long time. It's a long time. And Peter says at the end of that, and I suppose if he already had scoffers, then we shouldn't be surprised that we got people now that say the same thing. He ain't coming back. I and mean, that's what people say. He can't be coming back. I mean, I mean, what's taking him so long? 
Not only that, people say, y'all been saying that for 2,000 years. Nothing ever changes. You know, Christians have been saying the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but everything just keeps on going like it's always gone. I mean, you know, nothing changes. Nothing really changes. I was a kid. I was watching television, watching one of my favorite shows, and my grandma walks in. She walks in, she stands there a minute, and then she says, that old girl needs to put some clothes on. Okay, I was watching Gilligan's Island. And she was talking about Mary Ann. My grandma thought that t- television was filth and Mary Ann needed to put some, I mean, it's a good thing she died before HBO came out. That's all I, I mean, you know, my grandma would fall over dead, you know, now. I mean, you know what I mean? But that's what I'm saying. Old people have always said that TV was filth. And old people are still saying it's filthy and TV just keeps on, you know, coming on and we just keep on watching it and nothing changes. You know, we got two political parties and they hate each other. We have elections and we fight, but it just comes right back around in four more years. Nothing changes. I mean, you know, everything's kind of like it is. Somebody's always telling you it's the end of the world, but the world don't end. It just keeps right on going. Peter says there's always going to be people that doubt that. But Peter wants you to understand a few things. First off, verse 5, he says when people say that mess, they deliberately forget some things. They deliver, Verse 5, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And then Peter reminds you that by the word of his command one time already, He called down a flood and he flooded the whole earth and killed every living thing on the face of the earth in Noah's flood. And and that's what he says right there. So he just remind you, he's already done it once. But not only that, it's this idea that God made the heavens long ago by the word of God. I mean, all he did was speak it into existence. God created it and God can uncreate it. It's like when your daddy used to say, listen, kid, I brought you in this world. I can take you out. You know, it's that idea. God created it. He can uncreate it. He's the one who started it all in motion. And one day, he's the one that's going to step out and say, enough. Enough. He will step out. He will say, enough. And he will pull the plug on this whole electric circus. I'm telling you, you don't believe it now, but you're going to believe it then. It it, it is going to happen. It is not going to continue like this forever. The world will come to the end that God has already uh, planned for, and it will come in his timing. People forget that. Uh, By the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire, not water next time, but fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will, will be destroyed. What's taking them so long? Well, it's right there. It's um, people. It's about people. See, I, I think you understand that you know God is the creator of everything, the maker of heaven and earth, and God is good. He is, he is all. He's perfect, perfect goodness, perfect holiness. He's perfect righteousness, perfect love. He's perfect love. But from the very beginning, when God created the man and the woman and placed them in the garden, uh, and, and that snake slithers out from behind that tree, and, and then we recognize that, 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 that it's, 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 compli- it's more complicated than we thought. Because there is this other force. That, that there is this one, the devil, the, the enemy. 
He's the one who always works against God and his love. It's the devil who lies. It's the devil who works in every way to contradict the, the, the righteous effects of God's love in the world. It's the devil who's opposing him. Now, it's not one of those deals where it's like, you know, two opposing, you know, forces like yin and yang, and, and they balance each other out. Now, there ain't no balance here. The, the devil has nothing like the power that God has. It's not like it's just this equal, you know, light versus darkness, good versus evil, and we don't know how it's just always kind of balancing. No, there's no balance. God is God, and God is sovereign, and God made everything that is, including the devil for that matter. And I'm telling you, anytime he wants, he can squash the devil like a bug. He can squash the devil like a bug. The devil has no power, not even over us. The devil has no power over you. The only thing he can do is lie to you. If you never read your Bible, all he can do is lie to you. He can't do anything to you. The devil is not this powerful enemy, and yet the devil roams like a, a, a lion to and fro, seeking one of us to devour. And, and make no mistake, he, he manages to draw us in. The devil has no power to wage war against God. The only thing the devil can do is go up against what God loves. And what does God love? People. God loves people. So the devil, you know, you're made in the image of God. So from the moment you were born, the devil had a target on your back. He wants to just, he'd kill you if he could. He'd kill your children if he could. Mostly what he can do is lie to you. But oh my goodness, the way he lies to you. So yeah, whenever he's ready, I mean, God can just step out and say, enough, and it's over. It's not like going to be this big war. If you even read the book of Revelation, people say, man, you know, I was reading about the, the battle of Armageddon. Have you read the battle of Armageddon? Because there ain't no battle. There ain't no battle. Because you can't fight God. The battle of Armageddon is kind of exciting, also kind of a letdown. Because God just walks out, and, and with the sword of his mouth, it's over. There's no war. God just steps out. Jesus steps out and ends it. He flushes him. I mean, it's just over. There's no real battle because there never could be a battle. And that's what you have to understand. That's why that, that God just can't step out right now and just squash the devil like he bugged. Because if he does that, there are going to be a lot of people caught up in that. You see, there really are two sides. There's heaven, there's hell, there's light, there's darkness, there's good, there's evil. And, and you're on one side or the other. Now, I know you're thinking that you're not really going to take sides. You're just going to sit this one out, and when it's all over, just go on into heaven. But that's not how this works. You have made a choice. You are making a choice, and that choice really matters. You read this passage and you read how it says ungodly people will be destroyed. And some of you say, well, Pastor Tim, I don't know if I can have faith in a God who destroys people. No, no please, let's, let's repeat a few things that I know you've heard before because I said this last week. Salvation depends upon a radical decision that you make about Jesus. It's not a decision about church. It's not a decision about anything else. It's about Jesus. You have a decision to make about Jesus. And this is the matter of your salvation. You're going to decide whether or not to accept Jesus' offer to save you. And it's a free gift. He's not asking you to do anything in the world other than acknowledge the fact that you're hopeless without him, powerless without him, that, that you can't in any way dig yourself out of the hole that you dig yourself into every single day. You need Jesus. 
And, and so your salvation depends upon this radical decision you make about Jesus. Now, this decision is the most important decision you will make in your life. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I don't know, I've, I've made some really important decisions. You know, I, 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 I know you feel like you have. You know, like that time you had to decide, you know, you know, you know whether you're going to get to, you know, the quarter pounder with cheese or the Big Mac. You know, and you just paralyzed by that. Life is full of decisions, and some of them seem more important than others. I, I know you, you made a decision about, about what you would do with your life. You made a decision about your profession. You became a plumber, electrician, and, and, uh, a nurse anesthetist, an uh, office administrator, whatever you become. And you say, you know, Pastor Tim, that was the most important decision I ever made. That decision I made to go to UK School of Dentistry, most important decision I made. It it changed the course of my life. I'm not arguing with that. You've made some important decisions. I'm just saying that this decision right here is more important than than where you went to college, what you majored in college, what you decided to do with your life. This still matters more. Well, Pastor Tim, the most important decision I ever made was that day I looked out across the meadow and I saw that man coming at me shirtless on that white horse. And I thought, my goodness, I love that man. And I married that man. And now I've had his kids and we've got grandchildren. That was the most important decision I ever made in my life. I love my husband. Um, I, I agree. Your marriage is very important. And, and that was a very, you know, you could have married, you know, some, you know, bum and you didn't. God bless you. You got a good man. Um, but you remember when you got married to him and, and you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and health, till death do us part? You remember that? Till death? See, your marriage has a shelf life. Marriage ends always the same way. One or the other of you dies first and then the other one puts you in the ground and goes home. You, you, you know, I mean, that, that, that's what happens. So what you have to understand is it's this decision right here. It's this decision that matters more than any other decision you'll ever make because this is the decision that follows you into eternity. I know, I know. You're thinking about you're going to die and wake up, and the first thing you're going to do is find your husband and walk all over heaven with him. You know, but walk all over heaven. No, 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 I'm telling you, when your eyes open on the other side, the first thing that matters is not going to be exactly who was your husband? Who are you married to again? You know? No, that's not going to matter anymore. You know, what you did with your life, you don't understand. I was important. You know, I was the the CEO of the company. It doesn't matter. None of that. Exactly. Where did you go to school again? It's not going to matter. The only decision that's going to matter is the radical decision that you make about Jesus because of this. When you stand before him, everything begins and ends with Jesus. And at the very end of all things, at the beginning of eternity, you're going to begin that standing before his throne. You're going to answer to Jesus. And the decision you make about him in this life becomes the decision he makes about you in the life to come. This decision is the decision that follows you into eternity. You decide. You decide. It's not that God's this angry God up there sending people to hell. No. The scripture says very plainly, God doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. Hell was not created as a place for bad people. Hell was created as a place for the devil and his angels. God didn't create it for us. If anybody goes to hell, that's the choice they make, and it's a choice you're making now. You're making the choice, and this choice will follow you. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. 
A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about coming, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone, everyone to repent. Verse 15, remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So you understand that? Uh, you wonder, well, what's taking him so long? They've been, they've been saying he's going to call. He, they've been, Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years. You know. Where is he? Why doesn't he come? Maybe he's like that mama at Chuck E. Cheese. Y- y'all know her? She's the mama that sits over there like her kids are orangutans, and they're over here tearing up Jack, burning the place down. And she's over here on her phone just yelling at him from her seat. Y'all know her? And she's like, you know, hey, hey, stop that. Don't make me come over there. And you're thinking, go over there. Get up and go over, go over there. You know, your kids are orangutans. Go over there. But she's not. She's like, don't make me come over there. Hey, you're really going to get it. Hey, 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 stop that. Don't make me come. I'm, I'm fitting to come over there, you know. And then the big moment comes. She says, don't make me count. Don't make me count. I, I will count to three. One. Two. You're fitting to be in big trouble if I get to three. Don't make me get to three. And you're like, you know, she ain't going. I can look at her and she ain't going nowhere. She ain't ever, she, kids ain't in trouble. They know they're not, they're not fitting to be in trouble. They know that. They know their mama can count to three 30 times and she's not going to put her phone down and come over there, you know. And that's what people, is God like that? You think that's how God is? Like, don't, don't y'all make me come down there. I will, don't make me come down there and smite everyone. I will smite everyone. Don't you think I won't smite you? Don't, I'm going to count to 2,000. Don't, don't make me count to 2,000. As though you think that, that the Lord somehow is just like this toothless old, you know, toothless grandma that ain't really got any. No. It, it's, it's patience. It, it's patience because the longer he waits, the more time that they have to be told. And the more time that you have to tell them. Do you recognize that it's the only thing time is for? I'm the, the world and everything in it, just unwinding as it is. The only reason that we're having another day today, the world and all of its people, it's just this. It gives people more time to be saved. What do you think? God just want to give you another day so you can make more money and save for retirement? No, your retirement is not really one of God's priorities. Your retirement seems important to you, but your retirement is nothing compared to your eternity. I mean, let me tell you something. Uh, You can be very, very prepared for retirement, but if you're not prepared for eternity, you are gone forever. Your life is destroyed forever. You don't understand that. You think you just got another day, you know, to watch television, take a really good nap, maybe take the family to Chewy's for lunch. I mean, you really think that's what your life is about? Every single day is just one more day that God is giving people to repent. That's all. That, that, that's, that, that's God's priority. Do you understand that? God waits because there's nothing more important than seeing people saved. This is the heart of God. 
God does not want anybody to be destroyed. God wants everybody to come to repentance. And, and so his, his patience is, is long. His patience is, is amazing, but his patience doesn't last forever. The time runs out. There's nothing more important than seeing people saved. Now, I just said that, and about two-thirds of this room is like, yep, yep. So it seems that you agree with me. But let's just imagine, let's imagine there's, there's a person who just heard me say that. They're an outside objective person, and they just heard the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church say, there's nothing more important than seeing people saved. And I said that, and then he saw you know, two-thirds of the congregation go, yes, yes. So the assumption is that we all believe that there's nothing more important than seeing people saved. So what if that, that person just watched us, let's just say in, in the next month, just watched our church to see what happens when there's nothing more important than seeing people saved. I just wonder what he'd see. Because do I need to, to tell you? We go whole months around here without seeing anybody saved. And yeah, we had church. Man, we had church. And we have church, you know? I mean, we got music. I mean, we got music, and we got the lights on and off in this place all the time. We got programs. You know, we got the only elevator in Woodburn, Kentucky right there. That's how serious we are, y'all. We got an elevator. Takes people up to the second floor. Children up there. All the walls painted wild and fun. And, man, we got candy up there. And teachers just working their tails off. You know, crayons, flying, kids eating everything, glitter. I mean, you know, I mean, we just got it going all, all up around here. I work hard. I've preached three times a day. I'll preach another time tonight. I, I, I go at it all week long. Got meetings in this church, committees going. Man, we got people in and out of here all the time in ways you don't even know. Our van's rolling down the street. So what have we accomplished? For God, there's nothing more important than seeing people saved. So something tells me he's not that impressed with everything else we have going on around here that, that entertains us, but doesn't make any eternal difference in the lives of lost people. Some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I'm, I, I'm, amen, I'm with you. Pastor Tim, I, I, I agree with you, I'm with you. I tell you, Pastor Jim, I, I want nothing more than to see, I just want to see people getting saved at the altar again. I want to see people kneeling at the altar. I want to see tears on the altar. Okay, I want that. I, I want that. But in the book of Acts, when it talks about the early church, set on fire with the Holy Spirit, now sent out to change the world, right? In the book of Acts, it says that the Lord was adding to their number daily people who were getting saved. So right there from the beginning when the Holy Spirit had his whole way with the church, right? People got saved every day. That means people got saved on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, God saved people on all the days when people didn't even go to church. So what does that tell you? That tells you that God's people were out there sharing the gospel wherever they were, and people were getting saved all over the place because most of the people got saved on days that weren't Sunday. 
So as you tell me how much you want to see somebody get saved at these, these steps at the altar, can I just suggest to you it would be so much greater if somebody ever got saved at your coffee table, in your house. Like when the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of us, I think we'll probably see some people get saved at church, but more people going to get saved around your kitchen table. Do you know what I mean? Because you're living the life of a believer. Because you understand that there's nothing more important than seeing people saved. And you'll be serious about it. Last month, uh, we spent a long time working through the Mission One document as a church. Mission One is, is, is the way we're talking about vision for the next season of our church's life. And part of that is the current reality, if you recall. And one of the statements written there is a statement I think that's catastrophically too, true, true about our church. This is what we say. The congregation at large lacks any real concern for the lostness of others. This, make no mistake, this is our document and it's talking about us. The congregation at large lacks any real concern for the lostness of others. That's devastating. So the first day we pulled this out and I, I, read this, I read this line for the congregation and we had a new guy in attendance that day and he came up and said, Pastor, I just want to tell you, man, I, I never heard a pastor say anything like that. I really can't believe you said that. And he didn't mean anything by it. He really didn't. But, but then what he said was, you know, I, I can't imagine a pastor saying that because, you know, that, that kind of reflects on you. And it does. I've been your pastor 26 years. If this is true of us, there's something really broken about us. The congregation at large lacks any real concern for the lostness of others. We care about things. We just don't care about this thing. I love our church family. I love you all with my whole heart. I would choose you over a million churches. You know that. Our church has complainers, though. Every church has complainers. Every church does. And, and, and we all complain at one point or another. But, you know, I'll hear, I'll hear somebody say, you know, Pastor Tim, that 11 o'clock service was unacceptable. You know? Because the shades were down. Y'all had the shades down. I don't know why you got to have the shades down. That service was unacceptable because it was cold in that church. I don't know what kind of Eskimos in charge of the thermostat at that church, but that's the coldest church I've ever been. I, just, I sit there and my teeth are chattering. You know, y'all know what I mean? And people just want to complain about all, all, all kinds of things, you, you know. The church don't have enough. Y'all don't have enough going on for families, you know. The music was too loud, you know, drums. Um, just one time, if somebody would ever just come up and say, Pastor Tim, that 11 o'clock service was unacceptable because nobody got saved. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, when that's what bothers us, I mean, it doesn't matter where the thermostat, you know, sets, you know, hell's still hot. 
but that doesn't really disturb any of us at all. It's just our, our comfort, making sure that things sort of work the way we like things to work, but it, none of this is about us. Every single day, I mean, time ticks away, and the only reason for time is, is that God is giving lost people more time to get saved. I just find this devastating. So in this service, in this message, actually in every message, I'm only ever preaching to two kinds of people. There's lost and saved. You are one of two kinds of person. You're lost or you're saved. And, and there's no in-between. It's not like, you know, you, you, you can be saved, but you just, you think of yourself more like you're saved from 11 to like 12.30 on Sunday. You know, the rest of that is like, is like you know, you time. But, but you know, you're, you're a real Christian in, in, on Sunday at church and and you need to know that's not how any of this works. There's not a part-time option here for those who want to surrender their lives to Jesus. Either you do or you don't. You're, you're lost or you're saved. And same thing applies for lost people. You know, well, Pastor Tim, I, you know, I've really not been one for religion, but my grandma was a saint. My grandma loved Jesus. Well, you know, that's beautiful. Your grandma is going to enjoy heaven, and you're going to split hell wide open. Your grandma can't save you. Her salvation doesn't in any way overflow into God doing you a favor because you're in her family. You understand? You're lost or you're saved. Either you are or, or you aren't. And, and that sort of makes the decision before you really pretty simple. If you're a lost person, you need to get saved. You need to do it today. You need to recognize that there's nothing you can ever do to make yourself right. What is wrong with you is much, much beyond anything you could do to, to improve yourself. The hole that you dig for yourself, the hole that you dig in your marriage, the hole that you're digging as a parent, the hole that you're digging in every single way where you continue to try to be a different kind of person, but you turn out to be the same person every day. I'm telling you, that hole you're digging, you cannot dig yourself out of. You need a Savior. All of the things that you have done that you can't undo, all of the things that you've said that you can't unsay, the only answer for you is forgiveness. The only opportunity you have to have a fresh start at life, to have a new opportunity to do something different, to have the freedom to become a different person, that's a gift that Jesus offers. It's a free gift. All you can do is believe it and receive it. You accept it as a gift. But if you walk away from it, then you can't have any of it. Why would you say no? Why would you choose hell over heaven? Why would you choose emptiness over fullness? Why would you choose death over life? Why would you say no to Jesus? He loves you. You're either lost or saved. And if you're saved in this room, then understand your life's about one thing. Your life's about one thing, and it is to see people come to Jesus. The only reason that God gives you another day is to give people more time to be told and you more time to tell them. What do you think your life is? Why do you think you have another day? Why do you think he's got breath in your lungs? What is wrong with you? Every single day you have is, is given because God wants to see people saved. And, and you are missionally placed where you are. You're on mission. 
You are where you are because God cares deeply to see that the people that you work with every day, to know that they come to to Jesus, to know that they have a place in heaven when they die. I mean, that's why you're there. You'll get a paycheck too. That's not the point. Why you got all these grandchildren and great-grandchildren and nieces and nephews? Because they're placed in your life because they need to know that the most important thing in life is not to get on the best travel ball team. The most important thing in life is to know where you spend eternity. I, I, don't, I don't know how as believers we can say that we love Jesus or say that we love people. Pastor Tim, I, you don't understand. I love my neighbors. I try to be a good neighbor. I believe that Jesus wants us to be good neighbors. I know you're good neighbors. Y'all are wonderful neighbors. You will walk across that grass with a casserole anytime anybody has a need. I mean, you just cut across that grass. You'll carry a casserole. You'll carry your lawnmower. I mean, you just back and forth across that grass. You're such a good neighbor. But let me tell you one thing. It will never matter how many casseroles you carry across that grass. If you never carry the name of Jesus across that grass, then how can you possibly say you love your neighbor? So it's really, a, you're, you're one of two people, you're lost or saved, and you've got one of two decisions to make. Either you, you need to get saved or you need to get serious. You get serious about loving people and telling people. But because there's one thing that you always seem to forget, time runs out. Time is running And there is such a time as too late. One day it will be too late. Pray with me.